News podcasts the world over are ubiquitous, so you might very well ask why another one. Well, aside from the importance of multiple media platforms being an important cornerstone of democracy, it's high time that Scola Africa's important voice was added to the mix. Daily online, we reach tens of thousands of readers with challenging, analytical and relevant content. And it's time to turn that into an audio service. We're going to start small. We're going to take careful steps and do this weekly. And then in time, turn it into Scroller Africa's daily news podcast. My name is Jeremy Maggs. I've been behind a microphone or in front of a camera for as long as I can remember. If I think back, I've interviewed all of South Africa's post-democracy presidents, and I've had a front row seat at most news events since the mid-80s. But enough about me. In this pilot podcast, we're going to get straight into the political jungle. It's a place where South Africans like to be, where only the fittest survive. And this is what we reported on just a few days ago. And Korsazana Dlamini's Zuma star has been quietly rising in the ANC for some time, we said. And Cyril Ramaphosa would do well not to underestimate her. But at the same time, what's been emerging over the past couple of days? Well, the ANC in KwaZulu-Natal has thrown its support behind Zweliam Kize. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk to Philip Van Eekirk, our editorial director, on the visit to the United States that no one seemed to care about or no one noticed. But first, though, I want to bring into this pilot podcast our political editor, Zukili Majova. As we say in the news business, he's been watching local political developments. Zukili, a very warm welcome. Before we start talking about politics and the machinations and how difficult things are, how tough is political journalism at the moment, particularly as we approach the elective conference at the end of the year? It's difficult most of the time, but even more complicated these days, I imagine. It's actually very exciting. (laughs) It's been exciting for 20 years in South Africa. This is probably one of the most exciting times because of the 2024 elections that are coming up and we expect that for the first time that the ANC might go under 50%. It has been proven in local government election. They have gone under 50% and in most provinces, important provinces, obviously Western Cape and Gauteng and and recently in KZN, an upset of IFP has, has again put this challenge on what has been South Africa's liberation movement, you know. So it's, it, it seems to be across across the divide. In in theory, people normally say maybe only urban white areas, etc. But here is rural Kwazulu Natal, and we're looking at, at changes there. So these are really exciting times for political reporting. When it comes to the elective conference at the end of the year, what's it going to be like? How much blood is going to be spilled, do you think? These days, an ANC elective conference is not necessarily representative of how good or how bad a candidate is. It just depends on what slate you are on. You know, you can be very bad and be on a winning slate. You know, if you go back to Mark Fikeng 1997, Jacob Zuma was not very good. He was on a winning slate in the Tabombegi slate, and, and they won. He found himself becoming deputy president. You know, so it's not it's not always about how good you are. Obviously, as time goes, those slates can be can become a problem or give the incumbent president a, a big problem. Uh, look at uh, 2017 Nasrek conference. Uh, Cyril Ramaphosa wouldn't have wanted to have a running mate that is Didi Mabuza, but he didn't have a choice. Didi moved from the other slate to Cyril's slate to guarantee himself a position of deputy president. You know, so such is the situation in the ANC. Uh, you'll find that they can be very close in terms of 
um, the, the competition, maybe someone wins by 5%, etc. Because it's it's slate politics. It's not really about what you bring and, 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 and how the party can benefit or the country can benefit from what you bring. Talking about Jacob Zuma, is he serious? Does he really want to make a political comeback? <laughs> at, at over 80, Jacob Zuma's got all sorts <laughs> of other interests, you know, uh, legal uh, questions that he's got that that can implicate him, uh, uh, extend to his family, uh, his son and, and, and his daughter, who seems to be uh, uh, being investigated for uh, uh, the July unrest, her role, her role there. It's quite important for Jacob Zuma to remain a political uh, uh, influence, especially in KwaZulu-Natal, because that has shielded him and really protect him from from all these legal challenges he's been able to shift them away saying they are politically motivated etc you know being seen to to be in control of such an important province uh, especially in, in the coming election KZN did not do very well at least the ANC in KZN did not do very well which saw the the, the emergence of Ingata Freedom Party which is now led but once again, a very old man who's become very powerful and very influential, uh, uh, Prince Mangosu Tubutelezi. So in the coming elections, it's going to be very important that the ANC fields somebody who's seen to be an elderly statesman, uh, uh, someone like Jacob Zuma. He seems to be very powerful and very influential in those parts. So he remains a very important player politically, and it has benefited him. It makes sense that he will want to be available for the coming conference as, as, and, and contest the position of national chairman. I don't think he brings anything uh, uh, going forward. I mean, in, in, in a future ANC, five years, 10 years down the line, you can't expect uh, uh, Jacob Zuma to bring anything. The other thing that people tend to forget, Jacob Zuma has been in the top six of the ANC for 30 years. I don't know why, why he would want to remain again in the top six, because he came in in 1991 as Deputy Secretary General. He came in again in 1997 as Deputy President in the, Maf in the conference in Mafikeng uh, with Mbegi as President. He's been in the top six ever since. You know, that's over 30 years, and there hasn't been much plausible contribution that you can say he has made to the ANC top six. He is an election liability, though, come 2024, isn't he? He is an election liability. Um, uh, the ANC believes uh, to, 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 to middle-class or upper-middle-class people. Uh, right now, they are really desperate even for, for votes in the backwaters of KZN, backwaters of the Eastern Cape. They are increasingly becoming a rural party. You know, So he seems to be able to charm people. He's got that common touch. And to an extent... Uh, voter education hasn't been very hasn't been done very well in South Africa. So you have a situation where people who actually uh, would benefit from good governance, being ignorant of things like state state capture and so many billions of uh, money that has been misappropriated, etc. That is the that is the rural vote. Those people should actually be the ones who are crying more for good governance, you know. But voter education has become very poor. It only comes just on the eve of election, just teaching you how to vote, but not necessarily teaching you how to participate and deepen democracy. At the beginning of this conversation, I referenced Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma. She's 73 years old. She's been fairly quiet. She's been biding her time. She's one of the few senior ANC members not implicated in the state capture report or being investigated. Um, are we underestimating her or is she out of the running before things even start? 
not everybody who presents themselves as as potentially uh, uh, contesting the presidency is is actually hoping to get the presidency. She might now be aware that she's not going to get it, but might think that the pressure that is happening with the 50-50 uh, uh, representation of three women, three men in the top six, 50% representation in all structures of the ANC, there might be pressure at conference for the deputy president to become to become uh, uh, to be elected as a woman. If you look at all the slates, no one is electing a woman as a deputy president. When conference really comes to a deadlock, that could become an issue. People would say uh, the man is going to be a, a man is going to be president, a man is going to be secretary, a man is going to be treasurer, or a man is going to be nation, national chairperson. Where where are the women positions going to be? So everyone who's playing in that space is hoping that when the dice rolls and 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 they say we want a woman for a deputy president, or we don't have a choice. That's that's where they can step in. I think people like Lindue Susulu are not necessarily contesting for the president position. They are hoping that when the time comes, if conference deadlock, ANC conferences tend to deadlock and 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 come to a point where they, everyone looks for a third way of uh, or or a so-called compromise candidates. So there are all sorts of possibilities. Now, Kosazana Zamin Zuma is is going to this conference probably as a candidate of the ANC Women's League. Normally, the Women's League tends to be divided. In this conference, they appear to be quite united, that they are going to support one one person, one lady. Uh, They have been out there saying that they want the position of deputy president as as the Women's League structure. It's, it's It's a very complex thing, but it's very, it's very possible. You know, and at the moment, she is quite a, a senior member coming from the Women's League. I don't necessarily uh, see her as going for president, but I think she might she might be going for deputy president. You, you spoke about uh, rolling the dice. How much of a gamble is it uh, for Zwilliam Kizi? Does he stand a chance? Zwilliam Kizi has had a very early start. I mean, compared to everybody, everybody is starting their, their, their campaign and lobbying and all of that and right now. Remember, Zulim Kiza got the first endorsement from Etegwini Wadwan. It's a, it's a, a, the branch is called Kwakimba. It's quite a popular branch. They are the ones who began the fight for Jacob Zuma and took him to Pulukwana and, and won and won that, uh, that conference, Watershed Conference in 2007. So it's quite an influential branch. It's one of the biggest branches in, 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 in KZN in the region of Etebin, which is the biggest region of the ANC in, 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 the, in the whole country. You know, um, they, they pronounced on him in February. He also has a support of close to 40% of the Eastern Cape with one of the biggest regions, the Alfred Zor region, where I come from, um, which is led by Babalo Matigizela. They went to conference um, uh, uh, as, as a known faction, that is under uh, under Zulim Kize. So it was important, the outcome of the conference Eastern Cape for Zulim Kize, and the fact that it was so close. I mean, the Eastern Cape is the heartland of the ANC. When you find resonance in the, in the, ANC, in the ANC in the Eastern Cape, you cannot be taken for granted. Now, Zukili, listening to our conversation with what I can only imagine is a heightened sense of FOMO, fear of missing out, 
is our editorial director, Philip Fanikirk, who's in the United States at uh, the moment. Philip, as you, as you listen to uh, Zucchini unpack all of that, the script, I'm sure, is very familiar. Are you sad that you're not in South Africa as we approach the height of the elective season, or is it good to be a, an ocean away from us? Well, for a start, I've just been there and uh, I've just got back. Um, but, you know, really, for most South Africans, the process of selecting, you know, the ANC delegates in the presidency and the, and the top six is a very opaque process. Um, and it's, it's really only a few people who really um you know part of that process and are kind of aware of of how it's going and uh you know it's a little bit like the way they you know elect the pope all the cardinals and then they kind of let the smoke out the chimney i think for uh, a lot of people in uh you know watching from the sidelines you can be in washington or johannesburg or on the moon and you're going to be uh, have have a little uh, um close insight as to exactly how things are going to happen. But I do think um, there is some kind of movement and uh, we might be in for some surprises um, at the end of the day at this conference. I really like the opaque uh, comparison with the Pope. And uh, the one thing we need to realize is that there's no plume of white smoke when it comes to the ANC elective conference. Normally at the aftermath or the end of it, it's a, a scorched earth policy, Philip, that we uh, that we witness. As I talk to you in uh, in a balmy Johannesburg, beautiful spring afternoon as we record this podcast. Hurricane Ian has just hit the coast of Florida. Seems to me there's always a stormy environment in the United States when it comes to politics, but there was absolutely no storm at all when President Ramaphosa met Joe Biden in the White House. In fact, Philip, uh, no one seemed to care, did they? No one noticed. Well, look, I think American media and American public has got other things on their mind at the moment. I mean, the Ukraine war, um, the coming recession, the various kind of scandals involving Donald Trump and midterm elections. So it, did, it got almost no coverage, um, which actually wouldn't have been the case 20 years ago when Mandela was still president. But uh, nevertheless, I think it was a very significant uh, meeting uh, for Really, it, it kind of was an expression of a new American attempt to um, take Africa seriously, a very belated one, I might say. But certainly, you know, in the, in the um, agenda of the Biden administration, uh, Africa is, 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 much, is taken much more seriously. And in many ways, I think uh, it's, it was significant that they still identify South Africa as a very important key to the continent, um, and that is that that had happened was uh, despite the fact that um, you know there are people both in Washington and in South Africa who um, really um, don't want to particularly see the relationship improve at all, um, or rather there are people in Washington who think well South Africa is siding with Russia and Ukraine, they're mates with China, uh, you know why do we waste our time? With South Africa, and there are people in uh, on the South African side who say, "Well, do we really want to be friendly with uh, uh, an imperialist power, uh, and who still, you know, kind of harbour sentiments from the Cold War uh, in, in terms of antagonism towards the United States?" Um, so the fact that Ramaphosa and Biden, uh, or the, these administrations, were able to cut through that and get to 
uh, a more kind of mature, constructive discussion. That's very significant. But then you've also got to see it in the in the context of this huge conference that uh, Biden is organizing, the Biden administration is organizing in December, in which virtually every single head of state in Africa, other than the military leaders in West Africa and, of course, Eritrea, will be there. And I think something like 45 heads of state are accepted invitations. Now, Ramaphosa might not be there for the, for, for the reason of the ANC conference, but all the same, it's clear that they're taking South Africa very, very seriously. You know, Blinken's trip, first of all, and then uh, uh, Ramaphosa's invitation to the, to the White House as a very important part of this new kind of agenda in Africa. Uh, if he does come for the conference, uh, Philip, at the end of this year, of course, he might have to rush back again to save ESCOM from complete implosion. But we don't need to talk about load shedding right now. What I do want to talk about as we end this conversation, Zukili, I want to come back to you. Um, Scrolla Africa also running an interesting op-ed uh, this week saying a partnership between the EFF and the ANC would not only benefit both parties, it might also rewrite South Africa's future. Uh, the piece went on to say an EFF-ANC partnership is not only, and I quote, logical, but some may argue it is almost inevitable. How do you see it? It's an interesting development, even more interesting this week, uh, now that the ANC and the, uh, and the EFF have been able to join hands in the city of Joburg and helped the election of a new, a new speaker. What was quite interesting for me is, is the difference in the number of votes, over 10, the difference. So to an extent, it begins. you are beginning to hear that the ANC and EFF are going to take out the, the mayor of Joburg, Dr. Mpopalazzi, in the next week or so. You know, So it's quite an interesting uh, 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 development how this thing is going to work. To an extent, it's, it's, it's quite important uh, because one would expect it's going to bring some kind of logic to the land question as well because it has become so divisive. It has, it has become such a, a race issue. It needs to be controlled. Everybody, one, and everybody understands that there has to be uh, 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 some some restitution as far as the land question is, is is concerned, but it cannot be an issue that is done at the cost of of, of stability and the economy. So, to an extent, uh, the ANC knows very well uh, they won't go that route, even if it's it's such a populist route. They're not going to go that route, and the EFF is pulling to the other to the other end. It's an interesting it's an interesting partnership, but also uh, from that perspective, one would expect. There would be an interesting partnership if the the strained relations between the ANC and and in its Labour partner Kosatu, which is has been in talks with the SACP to form their own party and 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 and, and contest election, that actually is something that would really really work uh, uh, towards the advantage of South Africa because in terms of labour law, that tripartite alliance is beginning not to work, you know. The EFF would bring a certain dimension to this kind of tripartite alliance, etc. Again, a very interesting possibilities in South Africa. Zukili Majova, thank you very much indeed, our political editor, along with uh, Philip Fenikok, our editorial director. Um, folks, I just want to end with uh, a piece from uh, our website this week, which says business people and homeowners are complaining that their prepaid ESCOM units decrease every time 
after load shedding. Quoting a Sivoyili Zweni from Nyanga in Cape Town, he said they've been buying more electricity since load shedding started. He's quoted as saying, we want ESCOM to fix the problem because, and here's the nub, we cannot keep buying electricity that we didn't use. That leads me on to say that the next podcast that we do, we're going to give a full focus to load shedding, not only the practical consequences of it, but also the uh, political implications. What on earth is happening? Where are we going? And the impact on the economy is absolutely awful. I want to leave you with this. Political and economic decisions taken in dark rooms, load shedding pun intended, really do have an impact on hundreds of people going about their business, thousands of people going about their business. Let's not forget that. And the stakes have never been higher right now. A weakened president, a fractured ruling party, a baying opposition, warnings of higher stages of load shedding, and need I say a struggling economy. The global picture, as Philip was outlining for us, is just as bleak. Our job is to report it, to analyze it, to explain it, and to make sense of it. We are going to talk again. There's a lot more content on Scroller Africa. Until next time, goodbye to you, and thank you for listening.